Welcome to the New Thinking for a New World podcast, where we explore the most pressing issues that are challenging and changing our societies. We are looking for new thinking and new solutions wherever we can find them. Listen as host Alan Stoga, the Talberg Foundation's chairman, challenges his guests for analysis, ideas and actions. Together, we can help make our world at least a bit better. The Middle East is going through a transformation as significant as any since lines were drawn on a map 100 years ago, creating new countries and new borders. In the past two years, peace treaties have been signed between four Arab countries and Israel. New investment and trade relationships are emerging in a search for economic opportunity instead of ideological or religious domination. The threat of war between Shia and Sunni seems to be fading. Perhaps most importantly, there's a growing sense that local leaders, not those in Washington, London, Moscow, or elsewhere, can best define how people who actually live in the region ought to be governed. Almost by definition, Jordan, under the leadership of King Abdullah II, is playing a major role in trying to shape a new Middle East that will be defined not by conflict, but by prosperity. My guest today, Ambassador Dina Kawar, is both an observer and a participant in this transformation. She is currently Jordan's ambassador to the United States, having previously served as her country's ambassador to the United Nations, France, Portugal, the Vatican, and UNESCO. Welcome, Madame Ambassador. Thank you, Alan. I'm so happy to be with you today. Thank you. Let's start at the meta level. Do you think I'm exaggerating how profoundly the politics and the economics of the Middle East are in flux or the positive potential of at least a lot of what's going on? Well, if, if you look uh, at the last 10 years in the Middle East, definitely 100 years after the Sykes-Picot uh, arrangements, we're seeing a complete uh, change and, and movement in the Middle East. And definitely the major players, uh, some of the major players, if you want, not all of them, have gone uh, off the the political uh, regional politics because of the situation. So, you know, we had, if you if you see, we had the Iraq uh, Iraqi war, which has made a country so important like Iraq uh, is now, uh, you know, going inwards and, and trying to put itself back in, on its feet. And, and the process is a long one because it's an internal pro- process. We have the the uh, uh, um, civil war in Syria, which is still uh, Syria is not uh, is suspended from the Arab League, so it still has not uh, resolved its own issues. We have the Yemen war. We have uh, issues that are uh, Libya that is in shambles. So basically, what we're seeing is that the conflict now in the Middle East is internal to each country, and and God knows that when conflicts are internal to each countries and there's a dynamics that play within within these countries, it's very complicated and very difficult. Also look at Lebanon, where they are now and where they're going. So definitely I, I agree with you that we are at a stage in, in our region where things are shifting. And at the same time, you refer to the Israeli-Arab uh, normalization process with several countries, the economic uh, flourish, uh, and, and the same thing that's happening in, in all of the Gulf states. So we have some sort of uh, <laughs> happening, if you want, that is going on in the Middle East that, that is formidable for the region. And at the same time, we have those stalled, very complicated um, uh, conflicts that need to be looked into. But what I can tell you, and that's my feeling, my own analysis, and, and here I'm, I'm speaking my own uh, name, is that 
definitely regional issues uh, for them to go further have to be resolved regionally. And I think that's something that all of us uh, in the Arab world feel that we have to go on our own uh, feet and and try to uh, uh, find the solutions regionally because we cannot um, wait for others from the outside to come in and, and solve these issues. But definitely for Jordan, uh, we've always had this policy of let's talk about prosperity, let's put our uh, means and, and our funds and our money into uh, economic growth. Uh, let's try to look at issues. And you know, Alan, issues in the world now are, are do not know any borders. Uh, and in Jordan, His Majesty talks a lot about the need to look at um, issues that concern the climate, uh, water challenges. God knows how much this is the future. And, and the scary part about water shortages, how about food shortages, the refugees issues, and the movement of population among the Arab countries is something uh, the Syria war, we, we're the first country that has had to pay the, the, you know, with Lebanon, of course, and Turkey, we've had 1.3 million Syrian refugees added to all the refugee accounts that make Jordan, uh, uh, you know, home to 30% uh, uh, refugees. So there are really very important uh, issues that we need to look at as a region. And if we don't do that, it will be too late. And it's very hard to uh, think that uh, there are two speeds in the in the Middle East. One speed of countries that are, you know, developing and going fast, fast forward, and others that are stalling. We need to get to a point where we can find this dynamics of one helping the other for the good of all. And of course, among the conflicts that we, we mentioned, Syria, Iraq, Yemen, Libya, but we should not forget the Palestinian-Israeli problem and the, the issue of the Palestinian right to homeland. And uh, that is something that needs to be solved and has to be solved before it's too late. I want to talk about all of that in the time we have together today. Uh, but let's start with, in this changing environment, clearly there's been an intensification of Jordanian diplomacy. Uh, I have seen that uh, King Abdullah was in Moscow. Uh, he's been in Washington. Um, there have been recent agreements with the Emiratis and the Israelis on the one hand, with the Egyptians and Syrians uh, and the Lebanese on the other hand, all that we want to talk about. But you get this sense that the Jordanian diplomatic motor is in overdrive. Yeah. What is Jordan trying to do? It's very easy. I mean, I'll tell you one. There are several tracks. And one one track that His Majesty is very keen on, which is developing the economic relations uh, between us, Iraq, and 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 Egypt. So we have this track that's ongoing. Uh, we have an agreement, economic agreement, to create a, a free zone industrial, to create a pipeline between Iraq to uh, to Egypt, going through Jordan, uh, to, you know, to uh, do major uh, projects. It is very important for us. Look, Alan, if you look at Jordan, uh, in the last 10 years, we've been isolated, even in the last 20 years, because the Syria war has closed the borders with Syria, and we just had the refugee issue with all its complications. I'm happy to talk about it later. Iraq was our major uh, economic partner, and when the war happened, we lost our major economic partner. Uh, with the West Bank, we managed recently to sign with the Israelis after many, many years to increase our exports to the West Bank, but this is a process. It needs time. The the private sector needs to get involved. I mean, but there there's this. Well, 
we we were in the middle uh, a little bit surrounded with no uh, outposts plus the refugees plus the COVID, plus the economic uh, uh, you know the economic flourishment is the private sector the private sector to get them in some place they have to feel that they will gain and and that was a period when it's very complicated so obviously these difficulties with the unemployment in jordan with the with uh, the water shortages that we're worried uh, about we feel that we have to have a new outlook to the region and so his majesty wanted to work on this project between iraq's uh, and egypt and us so we're doing that uh, and we're doing it very uh, strongly on another uh, level uh, on lebanon there's a fear that lebanon will something will happen to to the country to the sense where there will be chaos so his majesty is always worried in our diplomacy we've helped the uh, you know he's tried to help the lebanese army into getting the medication food uh, staples this, the things that make it live and alive and uh, of course we're ready to uh, send electricity we're facilitating certain projects of gas transfer if that goes but it's from egypt so there's so many things that we're trying to help for for to keep lebanon on its feet in in waiting for some kind of resolution on the normalization process of course we're part of it we signed peace treaties after egypt so obviously ours that dates from a very long time it's had it has had its ups and downs complications because our geography dictates our policies and the, the fact that the palestinian israeli is is in difficulty has uh, gone um, has poured into jordanian so on that we are willing to uh, participate to regional economic uh, projects that work on electricity on water on other issues so that uh, you know the benefits of uh, this normalization and the peace treaty that we have comes into fruition but the only thing we're saying is that all is all of that is good but we need to it cannot re replace the the israeli palestinian track and the right for palestinians to have their homeland whatever we do economically in the region is not enough if if we do not address that to put that in context you signed Jordan signed its peace treaty with Israel in 1994 mm -hmm. uh, and has been a firm advocate for the Palestinians for decades. Yes. Uh, we have the Abraham Accords more recently, and certainly one of the major criticisms of those accords, fair or unfair, is that it left the Palestinians out of the conversation. Um, you've already said a couple times that that cannot be the case. Um, but day-to-day -day diplomacy seems to be ignoring the Palestinians in the main. I, I can only speak for, for my country because it wouldn't be right for me to speak to, for others. I can, I can tell you for Jordanians and for Jordan and for His Majesty and for the government, the Palestinian issue is at the heart of, of uh, all our diplomacy. Uh, don't forget that uh, the relationship between Jordan and Palestinian is a strong one for many reasons. We're neighbors. Uh, we have a, a huge number of uh, 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 Palestinian refugees in Jordan. The fabric of the Jordanian society is is very much uh, tied in with the Palestinian ones. There's intermarriages, families, everybody knows everybody. So I cannot say that for us it's been something that's put on the side. No, it's very much at the heart of it. But we would like to always work to see us going forward into trying to find a solution and we're always saying it's very important that we keep the idea of a two-state solution alive because 
if the, the concept of a two-state solution goes away, it's a problem for the Palestinian, it's not fair for them, it's a problem for the region, but also we say it's, it will be one day a problem for the Israelis if they, go, if they choose to go to the one-state solution, because eventually it will be a state that has Palestinians who do not have the same rights as, as Israelis, and that's not something I would imagine that a country like Israel would want to have. So we've always had uh, the uh, the wisdom of looking ahead and, and, and doing and conducting our policies with a vision ahead of us, even if the inconveniences of, of the present are on us, upon us. So it's a very uh, difficult situation uh, for us at all moments because this issue is for us important and, and part of our uh, internal issues. It's, it's an internal uh, matter. So I cannot say that for us it's forgotten and I don't think that it would be uh, right to to say that uh, we can just sweep the issue of Palestinian rights under the carpet and say one day, oh, you know, we forgot it, it's fine, let's go on. It cannot, it, it will come back and it will uh, be an issue very soon. If you feel that the world lacks global leaders, please help support the Talberg Foundation programs. Individual donations are being accepted at talbergfoundation.org slash donate. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org slash donate. You've already mentioned a couple of times the recent agreement that Jordan, Israel, and the Emirates uh, have developed in the energy sector. Um, as I understand it, uh, an Emirati firm is going to build a solar power plant, green energy in Jordan, from which Israel will buy electricity, and in turn, uh, Jordan will buy water, uh, will get an increased water, uh, water supply from Israel uh, through a new desalination plant. Um, it's one of those deals that has been floating around forever, uh, that has an enormous commercial logic, but also an enormous political logic, but it only got done now. What is it in, what is it in the air that allows this kind of win-win-win um, to happen today? Uh, well, I, I hope that when, first of all, it's, it's an agreement that's going to be now negotiated. We signed the intention to go forward, but the negotiations are ongoing. Second of all, uh, if something good happens, we shouldn't be upset <laughs> and start to question why now, <laughs> because we don't do the same when, when things are, that are more negative happening. But um, the, the whole idea is that for Jordan, uh, the water shortage issue is a real uh, national security issue. So uh, we are working on many, many levels to make sure that this issue is solved. So we have uh, this project that we're going to start to negotiate that will bring in um, uh, some water. We've negotiated also with the Israelis to buy some water over the next few years. The details uh, you know, uh, are out there. And we are also working on uh, building a conveyor system from the south, red, to the Dead Sea to bring in water in order to feed in the Dead Sea mm -hmm. because uh, the Dead Sea is losing a, a lot of its uh, level of water every year. We say around one meter, which is catastrophic because we're losing the Dead Sea and already it's in two pieces. And the danger of, of it uh, uh, lacking water is not only that 
you know, this is a source of uh, water, of minerals. Economically, it's very important, but also the saltiness of the water will actually end up taking all the underground water because of uh, the, the, the chemical reason that you know of. So we're doing this project and we've been working on it for many, many um, years now just because we needed to make sure that the water that comes from the Red Sea does not change the, the specificity of the water in the Red Sea. So that's the third project that we're work, working on it. Now, uh, is this a good thing that's happening? Yeah, it's very good. It's very important. But, but like I said, it's in the details, the negotiations are ongoing. And uh, honestly, uh, Jordan has been one of the countries that has worked a lot on um, making uh, energy sector, not just oil uh, or gas uh, dependent. We're working on solar, we're working on wind. You know, when uh, the um, Arab Spring started, Jordan had at that time all its gas uh, uh, important from Egypt and the gas pipelines with Egypt broke down because it was attacked many times and so there were gas interruptions and of course what what is the most important thing for any country in terms of security it's water and gas energy and water and food the three things that matter uh, they're not even uh, we cannot discuss these issues uh, any country's safety depends on it so we had to really rush into buying oil in the in the prices uh, of the market prices that was expensive and it has affected our budgeting up till now the debt that we are servicing comes from that period of energy so that was a lesson that we needed to fix to put back on track and say this is it we need to diversify all our energy resources and one of the things is the solar energy so when this idea came between the uae and israel and the result is using solar energy uh, the investments of the UAE, which they they actually are interested in doing and getting us for us water, then it's a it's a no-brainer in the sense of the usefulness of such a project. But again, uh, we cannot say anything until we see that signed. Absolutely, and I mentioned it only because it is the sort of interstate connection that will make this region more healthy in the long run. Let's go to Syria, another neighbor. You have been the country that has, in a sense, been the most affected by the Syrian civil war. Uh, you already mentioned the massive number of refugees that you have housed and cared for uh, since the war began. But we're nearer the end than the beginning. Uh, the civil war isn't quite over, but it's all but over. Um, and as you just said, the issue is what happens next? Where does this, where does this go? Obviously, it left a huge humanitarian disaster in its wake. The thing is, is that if you try solving a problem the same way the first time, second time, third time, and you don't get results, then it's, the third time it means there's a problem with you, you know. And and we have really suffered on many, many levels with the Syrian issue. And first of all, a, a country's borders have been stopped and the access to Europe, to trade, to the north has stopped. And, and here I'm talking about the Jordanian perspective, but of course it goes without saying, and I say it before I continue my discussion, that the major issue about the Syrian civil war is the humanitarian loss, uh, the dispersion of a whole population, the, the uh, population movement within Syria, those who left to Europe. We saw, we saw the sagas a few uh, summers ago when people were just throwing their kids in boats and sending them and god knows what those who were on the foot anyway 
all of that, of course, I don't need to say it because people know it. But as far as uh, Jordan is, is concerned, we have lost a neighbor of the north. And not only that, the, the refugee issue has been, you know, f for us, the humanitarian part, people take us for granted, you know, every time there's a humanitarian refugee part, let's go. And the humanitarian part, uh, we had the help and support of the international community, but not recently. I mean, after COVID, people had the fatigue, they had their own issues, they had their own economic issues. So we started getting less and less and less support from the international community. And where we are now, we're not in a good place, Alan. We're, it's really taking up on our own resources, whether it's financial, economic, the unemployment uh, high rate. And in spite of that, we really make sure that the refugees get schooling, it does create a lot of stress on our schooling and education system, the health the same way. And even in employment, we managed to give employment um, possibilities for 200,000 plus uh, refugees. Now, uh, that we all know. But what people don't know is what also has, has been a stress on us, uh, other than the refugee issues, which is uh, keeping the, the border, the northern border uh, with uh, Syria, which is around 367 kilometers safe. It has put a lot of stress on our military and our army. We have the issue of drug dealing between uh, the northern countries coming to Jordan, whether using it as a vehicle to go elsewhere or whether uh, Captain Jordan as a market for the youth with a captagon uh, and all the complications complications that comes on our, our government and our military and our security forces to stop this uh, very innovative um, cartel of, of drugs. We also have uh, uh, terrorism and issues on our northern border. Okay, it's not in our country, but it's on our borders and that we have to fight. Uh, the presence of of uh, third uh, parties also is, is becoming complicated. So this has to, to stop. And all we are saying is that the international community, the Arab League needs to sit down and, and, and talk about it and try to find a way out and see how do we go forward? What do we do? We're not suggesting uh, ourselves any solutions in specific, but we're just saying it's about time that we address this issue. It cannot go on like that forever. This is a, a country that it's a huge country with a huge population that has suffered enormously. And we saw the results of all this immigration being, whether being from Syria that went through Turkey or the Mediterranean, or whether the Afghanistan also um, uh, into Europe. And we saw the movement. I mean, nobody's, everybody's agreeing that the movements of the right wing uh, and the nationalistic movement that uh, has grown in Europe it's also a result of this movement. I worked during my years at the UN into negotiating uh, between countries some kind of reconciliation on the issue of refugees and migrations. Now, refugees uh, was in the convention, but nobody were talking about migration. Uh, refugees is a political issue. Migration is an economic issue. And that was not never put uh, forward on the table in the UN. And the world is divided, you know. You, you look at uh, uh, Latin America and Central America, they're more concerned about the migration because most people leave for economic uh, livelihood. The same with Eastern uh, Asia. Uh, the refugee issue is more Mediterranean and so on. And then you have the Africans. Let's not forget the, the, the boats that were going through the Mediterranean. These are real issues that need to be, uh, you know, addressed on a global level. And so just to go back to the Syria, we say, and then what? 
you know and that's a, the the reason reasonable thing but maybe you know when you're suffering and when you're feeling the consequences of something you end up advocating a solution more than others maybe for others they don't uh, feel it but we definitely are in in the front line uh, along with the countries in the you know bordering syria well it is the case it is the case that the international community has a very tough time doing two things at once and of course since the collapse of afghanistan that's the refugee issue of the moment that is getting attention in terms of new monies etc but your point is well taken it was one of the issues that we always had when we were when we were members of the security council is when are we ever ever going to go into the the thoughtfulness of prevention as opposed to reaction and that has been ongoing um for ages because and and you cannot blame anyone you except the member states and the un because they are the ones who decide you know the un is is, is as good as its members and and the fact that we've become overwhelmed with global issues maybe one day we'll come back to the notion of let's sit down and and try to take one by one uh, and the covid story unfortunately makes the point is that rather than anticipate it's been entirely reactive and reactive not just to covid but to each wave of covid uh we don't know how to get we're we're not letting ourselves get ahead of anything I, I did want to shift finally back to the United States because you are ambassador in Washington and have been in the states now for several years. Uh, the United States, whether or not the U.S. is withdrawing air quotes on that word from the Middle East, it is the current conventional wisdom. Uh, I don't think it's withdrawal as much as a refocusing, a resizing, a reshaping. But we could debate that. How do you see it? Mm-hmm. You know, Anand, this question is obviously the question of the moment. Is the U.S. withdrawing? Is it coming out? And I, I, I hear, if you allow me, I'm going to speak in my own person because this is some of the reflections that I have, uh, and it does not in any way reflect any any of my government's policies. I keep sometimes I keep thinking uh, for families in the United States to send their kids far away and and into wars and war zones. Maybe they're I can understand as a parent saying, why? why do, what do we want with this, etc.? Uh, and I can see that sometimes uh, there's this anti-intervention or anti-being um, in, in that part of the world. Having said that, uh, I think the United States has found a system more recently, whether in Iraq or Syria or, or Afghanistan, where they have you know, military advisors, military presence that overlook uh, uh, any any situation, any country, and I think with time, this is happening. They're they're overlooking, wanting to make sure things, but they have to work with the local, and that's in some way it's it's a wise way to look at it. Uh, the second thing I want, and that's why many people didn't understand Afghanistan, the the fact that you know the small number had to, had to leave, and in in return we saw what we saw. Now. The other thing that I, I would say is that no matter how much the uh, United States is, would say that they want to disengage from the Middle East, it won't ever be 100% because the Middle East is still a central uh, issue because their interests that they have, whether it's with Israel, the Iranian presence, the Gulf states, the oil, the energy, and and the proximity to Europe, the trade, I mean, a million and one reasons that would not allow it. I think what they 
what what let's say the ideal situation would be is that again uh, eventually the regional uh, countries and the powers who are very capable with a uh, they're capable they know the issues better than others uh, the Arab population, whether in the Gulf, the Middle East, or North Africa, have some of the most brilliant, educated youth. And uh, we have a power uh, force that is incredible. There's nothing missing, really, except the wisdom of sitting together and saying, let's tackle one thing uh, and another. And maybe, um, but that's the optimistic part in me, and I don't know if that's foolish or not, but maybe the fact that the U.S. is disengaging uh, or wanting to disengage might force us to come forward and take our own issues uh, by our own hands and and say look that's what we would like to do and that's how we see our future and believe me if uh, there's nothing missing in our area nothing neither the money nor the means nor the brains nor the sun uh, which is good for energy and uh, uh, nor the history which makes our countries very interesting and and something to preserve. Uh, So this is my only hope that we would. I know that the United States policies has changed in the sense that they want to go and concentrate East and and work, and that we're seeing. But maybe uh, that's a reason for us to take our own issues by our own hands and and go forward. Let me end with a non-policy question. You've lived in the States now for a number of years. Uh, you've traveled extensively in the United States. Um, What's most impressed you, good, bad, or ugly? Uh, I had this before COVID. I, you know, I had the map of America. There was life before COVID. I remember it. (laughs) I had, I had the map of the United States and I was saying, I'm going to finish the 50th state in Hawaii for vacation before I leave. But uh, I did visit around 27 states and it's amazing how much First of all, the minute you leave Washington, you realize there's a life outside there because, you know, in Washington, it's such a political uh, environment and you think this is it, you know, but this is Washington and, and it's a one one uh, industry town. So you go there and, and you realize how much. But what I, I would say, um, there's a lot of things to see in the United States, apart from the beauty of the country, which is amazing, the nature. You never see it anywhere in those big mountains, big, everything is big in America, and that's something that's amazing. The, you know, I enjoyed visiting universities, and that's something that I um, admire totally, the academics and the way that uh, Americans put the attention on their youth, they develop their uh, energies, their skills, but also their personalities. And that I find uh, amazing. Um, the dynamism in, in the work that there's so many things we can learn from the United States. And that's something that has always impressed me in, in during my visits. And uh, so, you know, uh, the diversity also in America is amazing between the South, the North, and, and only when you do visit all these uh, states, you understand uh, that some of the early days of the uh, U.S., the American founders, are still lingering around these ideas of, you know, the state has to stay out of everything. Um, uh, I understood more uh, American history and where it is now only by visiting uh, these states. So I hope that, um, you know, this year, this coming year, would allow me to finish my other states, <laughs> and uh, that I can, you know, enjoy knowing more. 
Well, COVID is passing, inshallah. I hope you've got twenty. You've got twenty-three states to go, so you, you better start traveling. That's 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 a lot of travel. But you know, I, I I manage. I'm good at that. So yeah, I have that on 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 mine. But thank you, Alan, for hosting me. This was really lovely. Th- thank you very much. I appreciated the conversation. Thank you for joining us. Please rate our show on Apple Podcast and subscribe. Meanwhile, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter at talbergfoundation.org to learn more about our work. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org. Thank you, and we'll be back again next week for another episode of Talberg's New Thinking for a New World. This podcast was brought to you through the generous support of SNF, the Stavros Nyarkos Foundation. Mm-hmm.